steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! Welcome back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Riddell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, well, it's been a couple of weeks since we've talked to you guys. Um, hopefully you've been staying safe and healthy over the past couple of weeks. Uh, and we're back here to talk some Vikings football today with you guys. So uh, main development is Dalvin Cook and his contract negotiations have hit an impasse, as we thought may happen. Uh, we discussed those contract uh talks a little bit on the previous show, the most recent show, actually. And today we're going to kind of elaborate on what's going on, how those negotiations have changed, how our thoughts and feelings have changed about that, and whether or not we think a deal with Dalvin Cook can ultimately get done given the circumstances. So that'll be the primary meat of the show today. And then we'll finish up with a prospect discussion on new cornerback Jeff Gladney, and that'll be the show for today. So let's uh, let's get things going here right away starting with Dalvin Cook, like I said. So the biggest change that we've seen is that we finally have actual numbers to look at in regard with regard to Dalvin Cook. Everything that we had talked about previously was, was speculation based around what we thought might happen, based around what happened with Christian McCaffrey. And now we have kind of an idea of what Dalvin Cook is looking for, what the Vikings are willing to offer, and whether or not they can potentially meet in the middle. Uh, mm-hmm. We actually have information on these things. So that's good. Uh, It's a good development for our purposes. And the problem, though, is that there's a bit of a conflicting reports, which is always going to happen when you've got agents pushing for one thing, news reporters just trying to, you know, find facts and the team trying to hide as much information from the public as possible. This type of thing is going to happen, especially when you've got a premier talent like Dalvin Cook. So, Drew, why don't you bring me up to speed on what we think we know and what we do know about the Dalvin Cook contract situation? Yeah, so as of right now, um, you know, this is a Tuesday evening, uh, 6-9-2020. Nice. Uh, this is as of about 5.30 p.m. Um, I think it was Courtney Cronin said, well, first of all, the reports are all out there now that, you know, Dalvin's going to hold out or right. not going to, you know, participate in any of the summer activities um, until he gets what he, I think the quote was a reasonable deal. And so, you know, then you had Courtney Cronin at ESPN say he's looking for something north of Christian McCaffrey, which would be completely knocking, you know, uh, the windows off of the running back market. I mean, McCaffrey right. got 64 mil over over four years, 16 mil a season, and uh, he is the highest paid running back in the league right now. And if Cook gets above that, that's astronomical, right? Uh, and then I think Doogie, uh, Darren Wilson, uh, kind of a more another local uh, Minnesota sports reporter uh, insider. He said looking for something that David Johnson got, I think, before the 2018 season, which was, I think, 39 million over three years. Um, and so he is, and David Johnson is now in Houston uh, benefiting still from the Cardinals off that deal. So and I think the other report, I believe it might have been Dougie. I, I wish I knew who, exactly who said this. Um, it was not my own information. But they said the Vikings started offering Melvin Gordon money, which he got 
two for 16 from Denver this offseason. So that's where things are at now. Um, and that's all, I mean, that's all we know right now. Uh, I like where the Vikings are starting um, personally, but I, I, you know, I'm sure that that's kind of one of those low ball offers. Like, okay, let's negotiate, meet somewhere in the middle, which at this point, that middle seems to be at 10 to $11 million a season, which to me is too much, but uh, it does depend too on length of deal how much is guaranteed, all that stuff. Um, as we've learned over the years, especially with like a Kirk Cousins contract, like the guaranteed dollars, the ability to get out of the deal uh, in a couple seasons, that all matters quite a bit. So, uh, you know, it's tough. You, you don't want to make assumptions, react right away based on, you know, what you know on the surface. It's, it's important to look at the details, but the Dalvin Cook contract extension appears like, I mean, it's, it's just assume it's going to happen before the next season. Uh, and it's probably going to be a lot of money and probably more than uh, we're comfortable with paying running backs. Yeah, so that's probably the first impression here, just what you just said right there, is yeah. that the Vikings are going to probably end up paying Dalvin Cook more money than I believe the vast majority of us deem acceptable for that position in 2020. That's probably just a reality right now. I mean, of course, I don't have any idea, but that just that feels like a foregone yeah. conclusion at this point. Okay, so let's break this down piece by piece, starting with what uh, didn't come from Dalvin Cook's mouth, but what has been regurgitated, and that's he will not return to the Vikings to participate in any of these uh, COVID-19 like influenced meetings um, or anything related to the Viking team activities leading up into and potentially through the entire season unless he receives at the very least a reasonable contract offer. So let's talk about that word reasonable and what that word means. Not just what, I mean, I would be happy to go through the dictionary definition with you, but the term reasonable in itself is subjective, which makes this fun because like I'd mentioned earlier, there are a lot of parties involved here that are going to be determining what the word reasonable means, right? Now, we're not talking about max here either, or we're not talking about lowballing. We're talking about reasonable. Like, there isn't a figure associated with the term reasonable because there's a lot of other, you know, pieces that are influencing what you consider to be, repeat it, say it with me now, reasonable. We have no idea at this point, okay? So Dalvin Cook might consider a contract that is reasonable in his mind to be a top five contract for a running back. That's probably somewhat fair. Is he a top five player at his position? Probably. We went through that on the last show and we deduced that that's probably the case. So then you have to also look at the positional value. Okay. Um, what's reasonable to a financial specialist, a la Rob Rosinski, or an agent potentially even that has a good idea of what's going on but maybe choosing to ignore it for the benefit of their client. These people know what's going on and what is reasonable from a positional standpoint. And those two numbers, unfortunately, do not correlate. Right. Well at all. In fact, we've gotten to the point where we're arguing that Dalvin Cook is worth the same contract as David Johnson, which is in itself seems very fishy just at face value. That's entirely – that's the entire indication uh, of what I see – in running back contracts. Like, I mean, there's David Johnson's the example. Le'Veon Bell is not a bad player, but like it, running backs can't carry a team. You know, 
Adrian Peterson had the best running back season of all time in 2012. The Vikings barely, barely squeaked into the playoffs and were smoked in the wild card round. That is the ultimate ceiling to which a an all-time great running back can alone carry a team. You know, Barry Sanders with the Lions, I think they may have won the division once, the NFC Central or, or whatever the case was in his prime, right? They didn't obviously do anything more than that. So, and obviously it's it's different, you know, at, at like defensive end and cornerback and quarterback obviously is the number one priority, finding a good quarterback. But the, look at these running back deals. Todd Gurley is the other example, the prime example. Uh, he got a massive deal. I think that was also before 2018. And now the Rams are, you know, for a lot of all the reasons as well, but they're in cap hell. Right. And part of that is because of they're still going to be paying Todd Gurley like $8 million this season uh, to play for the Atlanta Falcons, by the way. And so the Le'Veon Bell, you know, got hell out for the entire season and got the, what, four years, $52 million, which is a solid deal uh, to his credit. Uh, that's still a lot of change for a running back to get. But he went to the Jets. The Jets are still bad. His production has gone down significantly. Uh, and I don't, I mean, the Jets are not going to win more games based on him being there. And you would, you would, and now there was trade rumors about them trying to get rid of Le'Veon Bell. The David Johnson trade already happened with the Cardinals. They're able to get rid of him to Houston. And somehow with that DeAndre Hopkins trade, we'll never understand how that worked out and how the Texans were able to accept that, uh, what Bill O'Brien's thinking there. But point is, it, there's a lot more evidence to suggest that these huge contracts running backs don't work and are not valuable to your team moving forward than the vice versa, than the flip side. So we have yet to see it exactly for sure pan out with Zeke Elliott in terms of hit, what do you get six years, 90 million or something insane Absurd. like that. Yeah. But you know, they didn't make the playoffs last season. They have yet, they can't pay their quarterback. Now uh, they have not given Dak, Dak Prescott, his uh, franchise quarterback contract, which again, if you're going to pay one position or the other quarterback seems like the one that you'd want to pay and, and keep on your team long-term versus running back. They haven't been able to do that yet. I would imagine Zeke's deal is part of the holdup there. Uh, so I'm always going to be hesitant. And again, it's not against Dalvin Cook, the player, uh, relative to his position. He is, I you know, as we said last show, he's a top five player at his position. But I look at what the Chargers did with Austin Eckler, and I think that is exactly what something like that. Obviously, I think Dalvin Cook's a better player than Austin Eckler. But um, the Chargers got him for four for 24, I think, like six million a year. Eckler is one of the top 10 running backs in the league in terms of elusiveness, too. If you look at uh, elusiveness rating, um, making players miss, he is up there among the best. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can run between the tackles. Uh, that is what I I love that deal for the Chargers, getting a guy like that who's reliable, uh, effective all over the field. And I would imagine if the Vikings can get something like that, four for maybe 30, four for 32, uh, or three for... 25 even you know something like that is what i would do or try to offer him on the vikings and then anything more than that i'm kind of saying now we're not gonna we're, we're gonna let you play out in 2020 uh or hold out if you want to and then we'll let you walk so basically all i can take away from all of that is that austin eckler might be the starting point for what's reasonable both in the minds of teams and players they can come together and six or four years, 24 million with an average annual salary of $6 million. 
that seems like a good starting point to me. That seems like a good kind of like if you were to draw uh, a Venn diagram of where players and uh, you know, front office management guys, people, executives uh, fall. This I feel like that deal mm-hmm. is like kind of a good middle ground where you could find somewhere to work. So the Vikings need to offer him that apparently for him to be, you know, back in gear, which I, I feel like that's not the case because I think we've already heard the Vikings have shown a willingness to offer at least $8 million per year on an average annual salary. So the reasonable comment for as much time as I've spent on this, I don't think it really carries any weight. I I really don't because I think Dalvin Cook's going to stay at the negotiation table because of what you said. Your options right here if for a running back is get paid a ton of money and play for a 4-12 and team or get paid – a substantial amount of money, maybe not necessarily what you're worth in your mind for a team that has a chance to win a Super Bowl. That's what the Vikings qualify here as. You can choose the reasonable team, like the Vikings, or the unreasonable team, like the Jets. Where do you right. want to be, Dalvin Cook? So that's one question that needs to get answered here. And one of the re- ways we're going to figure out how to answer that question is with leverage. So let's talk about leverage and where both of these sides stand here. Because this is very interesting because of how the Vikings' offensive operation yes. is set up, right? This is what makes the leverage issue even a question. Under m- 9 out of 10 circumstances in the NFL, running backs don't have any leverage ever. Ever. Period. I'm, j- I'm just – just being honest with you right now. If you can get a starter in the fifth round that you know you can pay $8 million less per year and get relatively similar production, you don't have leverage just because you're already aged out by like your fourth year in the league. It's unfortunate. It's not your fault as a running back. The CBA kind of screwed you with your rookie contract and you're in a, like you don't have an ability to try to get paid more in the later years of your deal. But let's just be honest here. Most teams do not pay you kind of for your first four years on your second contract. Most financially savvy savvy teams are not going to pay you for that. So uh, we arrive at this point here where, generally speaking, inherent to the position, inherent to the negotiations, the team has the leverage. But because of Dalvin Cook's positioning on this team and how important he is to how this team functions, we have a bit of an issue here in terms of debating which side actually has more leverage if Dalvin Cook decides to sit out next season. Right. Well, that's the issue with having such an old school offensive philosophy, right? Like, so Gary Kubiak and his offense with the Broncos in 2015, remember when CJ Anderson and like Ronnie Hillman and and whoever else was there was like, were like viable fancy running backs. It's because they ran the ball, uh, you know, to a, well, not to a fault. They won the freaking Super Bowl, but they ran the ball so much because of, you know, Peyton Manning was clearly over the hill and not, hardly effective anymore and then Brock Osweiler also like Peyton Manning was ineffective to the point where he was benched for Brock Osweiler that season and it just happened to work because of how elite that defense was and they ended up winning the Super Bowl that's really the last time I can think of where like an actual run centric offense won and it took an all-time elite defense to do it and so that has carried into the Vikings now with the Kubiaks there and it did in 2019 Dalvin Cook and the Vikings ran the ball uh, more often really than any team in the league. And part of that is because they were ahead, I, I'm sure, uh, in a lot of games. But uh, now that's the leverage that, you know, Dalvin Cook and his agent have is, well, 
we were made such like my client or I, if, depending on who's talking here, <laughs> I was was such was such a, a vocal point of your offense, um, you know, and you can also point to these numbers that I saw uh, today where, you know, Kirk Cousins, his efficiency did drop off just a little bit when Cook was on the sideline. Uh, so they can point to these things and that will the, kind it. of that's the kind they might of the contact you about these stats, by the way. <laughs> these, this is the ounce of leverage that Donald Cook has uh, are just those little things where, you know, he's getting 25 carries, 28 carries. I think he had in the wildcard game against the saints. Like that's, that's, that is valuable to have the guy that you trust to carry the ball that many times in a game. Right. Um, and so that's, what they're going to point to, but you know, on the other flip side, like there's just the examples around the league. Look at the Super Bowl teams and who their running backs were. 49ers had Raheem Mostert, you know, who had bounced around like six teams undrafted. Right. And he finally found a good scheme with a good personnel to kind of showcase his talent, put up 200 yards and four touchdowns in the conference championship game. Um, on the flip side for the Chiefs, Damian Williams, I think he was also undrafted, has like the record for touchdowns for running back in postseason play now or something close. So like it's, there's just so much evidence to suggest that running back performance is based more on scheme on the personnel of the situation you're in rather than uh, one's own ability. And so that's what they're going to point to. Again, the Vikings have the leverage here. Also, one more thing I didn't even mention is uh, cook's health, right? right? Cause that's the worst thing right. I looked at when they, when, you know, I saw, Oh, he's looking for something North of McCaffrey. Well, that's, already not happening because McCaffrey has been completely healthy for three seasons, right. put up, you know, a thousand yards and rushing and receiving last year, right. completely healthy, no problems there. Cook, obviously not the case. So there's a lot of evidence. Uh, it's just a lot of leverage uh, on the Viking side here, in my opinion, rather than what Dalvin has. He has a couple of, you know, efficiency numbers, so to speak, measures against cousins. Um, and then of course, you know, maybe a couple of games here and there where he really kind of carried the offense well, the, the offense ran through him at the end of games to kind of bleed out that clock, which is very Mike Zimmer, Gary Kubiak style. So that becomes a problem for the Vikings if he sits out, right? Or at least you'd think, right? The, the question yeah. then becomes, so how we determine how much leverage Dalvin Cook has versus how much leverage the Vikings have? Like, we have a very strong idea of what the Vikings are arguing right now. It's all the points that that Drew just laid out for you. It's the history. It's the current precedent. It's everything that's not Christian McCaffrey basically suggests do not pay this guy big money. So the Vikings are arguing from that side. Yeah. Well, even if you look at McCaffrey, unbelievable season in 2019, right? right? Productive right. as a receiver, as a runner, like one of the best seasons of all time. The Panthers were five and eleven. So, uh, right. how much does a, an elite running back actually help your team win? I mean, you need the far the other pieces around the running back are far more important, and it just shows time and time again. Right. Which is which brings us to the question then is how much leverage does Dalvin Cook have, which can be determined by how much of a drop off will the Vikings face if he does not play in 2020. That's basically the questions they have to ask themselves is how much is this guy worth so that we don't get so much worse in the backfield that we can't make it up through our receiving core or, you know, with Alexander Madison or and so forth. Right. That's the question the Vikings need to ask themselves. And I, I know I'm, I'm simplifying it. I, 
I know there's a lot more that goes into it than just that simple question. But ultimately, everything that you're going to come up with, that you're going to kind of put together to arrive at your decision, is going to answer that one question. And the simple answer, kind of the the non-think tank answer, is that Alexander Madison is pretty good. I love Dalvin Cook. He's a lot of fun to watch, and I really enjoy him just as a character on this team. He's one of my favorite players. But if you're looking at this objectively speaking, Alexander Madison was pretty efficient as well. The Vikings made a mistake by not drafting a running back, I think, looking at this situation now, because what's behind Alexander Madison does not look great based off of what we know. But that being said, if you feel like Madison entering year two, which for a lot of running backs is kind of the beginning of their prime of their entire career. If you feel like he can give you a thousand twelve hundred yards and then you think, okay, well we can air it out a little bit more than we did last year. Dalvin cook's value drops off of a cliff just Mm -hmm. in, just because of the system itself. If you feel like you can adjust the system just enough where Madison can be a, a piece, like an important piece, but not, the piece of your offense, the Vikings are capable of doing that. They can. We've seen so many teams revolutionize their offenses because of situations like this. I mean, do you think, like the Saints, for example, think of all those years when the New Orleans Saints were in cap hell. I'm not saying it was a result of the running back position being paid very highly in that organization, but they adapted by not paying running backs a ton of money. They let guys like Reggie Bush walk. They let guys like you know, Deuce McAllister walk. And that became this air air centric offense yeah. passing through. If you the want air. to go and way back, Ricky Williams too. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't, they just never did. And they evolved. So I'm not saying this is a one year, you know, overnight thing. Like you can just snap your fingers and all of a sudden you've got a hall of fame quarterback throwing for 5,000 yards. But these are changes that you can make. If you don't believe you want to pay a guy, 13, 14, 15 million dollars a year. And the more you think about it in your head, does it just not does it not seem just straight up unreasonable to pay a position that much money after it's been proven time and time again? Like it's the it's the divorce argument. I remember there's Bill Burr, a comedian, one of my favorite comedians, made this joke, right, about divorce, saying if you if I told you that you're going to jump out of an airplane and there's a 50% chance that the airbag or that your, uh, your bag isn't going to go off and you're going to plummet to the earth and die. Would you still do it? Okay. It's funny. Like, but in this situation (laughs) here, it's even higher than the 50% divorce rate. All these running backs that are getting paid, they never win Super Bowl. So if I told you that if you pay a running back too much money, 13, 14, 15 million dollars a year and completely destroy your cap that your team's not going to win a Super Bowl. I mean, as a Vikings fan, your reaction is, well, we don't have any anyways. But generally speaking, you would respond to that and say, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I'm not in for that because I want to win. Right. And that's it, the that's just real. That's just what history has told us to date. The one possible kind of out exception here is that if your quarterback is on a rookie deal, and you don't have to pay your quarterback for two years. You could give your running back a bunch of money in the first couple of years and then worry about the QB contract in that third year or something. That's kind of what the Rams a little like that's where the girly deal is uh, excusable, I guess, is that they had Goff for a year there on his rookie deal. Um, but then they gave Goff that massive deal after the Super Bowl run and 
that's when things went south for uh, the Rams. But it's, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the replacement of Dalvin Cook and it being Madison. So down the stretch last year when Dalvin was hurt, Madison also was hurt, which kind of that sucked for that our purposes sucked. now. Yeah, because yeah. we didn't get to see a the Vikings, you know, in a big spot, right, with Madison at running back and how much of a drop-off, how much he maybe would have helped. How We didn't get to see any of that because we saw Mike Boone. I'm talking specifically about that Green Bay Monday night game week 16 right. Right. when the offense pretty much did nothing all game. They had like five first downs or something like that. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's all Mag Boone's fault because, again, I, I still think the running back position is largely influenced by outside factors. Um, and th- the Packers just zeroed in on the run game in that game. K- and Kirk was bothered early. Nothing worked. Now, if maybe Madison in that game, things are different. Maybe they, uh, maybe the pass game is more efficient if they zone in on Madison play action. I don't know. I'm not going to. I don't remember exactly how that game went in terms of the schemes that Green Bay used to to stop Minnesota. But that's one thing, too, that Dalvin can use now is like that game in particular. He wasn't on the field. Vikings offense was completely, you know, bottled up for the whole game. So I don't have a, you know, I, I don't have a problem with Dalvin Cook at like eight million a year. After that, I start to become questionable and, and I get scared of what that deal could do to the Vikings future, especially now we need to consider that the salary cap is probably going to decrease next right. season based on the loss of revenue. And that was that's probably going to happen here with COVID and all of that. So that's uh, we're Vikings are already in jail based on the Cousins contract with that. Now you get a running back on the books for what it would be like 12, 13 million next season. And you have very little wiggle room moving forward with anybody anything else on your team so kind of the final element is just that uh, of this equation here when we're determining again what's reasonable here for the vikings a factor in determining that piece right there is the question of you can do it but should you right so the vikings current situation it's not great it's not like they're flooded with cash but the Vikings can do a deal in the 10-ish million dollar per year range if they want to. They can figure out a situation in which ultimately the average annual salary is is in, you know, 10, 11, 12 million dollar range. They can do that. That's possible. Okay? So the question becomes then, you can do this, but should you do it? And that brings us back to all the factors that we've gone through here in terms of leverage, in terms of historical precedent, in terms of medical history, all of these little different things. Should you do it? I think the answer, if we're still talking about what's reasonable, is no. That's not reasonable to pay this guy that much money. Period. It's because it's, 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 it's it, probably not. No. I mean, it's... it's it's it, too influential into what your team does moving forward into the future. For this one year, if you want to pay him $12 million for 2020, okay. But the, the, the next two years of his contract should be like 4 and $4 million or something like that. So then we're back down to, you yeah. know. Which at this point, and, I, and here's the thing. We need to make this clear. We, I, we totally get like, Delvin Cook should be asking for 
12, 13 million a year. Right. That's what he should ask for because other teams in the NFL are giving running backs that much money. And he is clearly an elite player at his position. And so I'm not going to fault him uh, for asking for that money. And a lot of times, too, I think I saw uh, – it might have been Dougie, but it was another uh, an NFL media person saying that, you know, a lot of times in these scenarios, they're sort of rewarding these players uh, for the past couple of seasons when they right. give them a contract right. like this. And the so Kobe if the Vikings do that, like yeah, that. If, I get, if, if the Vikings end up making that decision to sort of, quote-unquote, reward Dalvin for the past couple of years – Fine. You know, I don't love that because for 2017, most of it hurt. A lot of 2018 hurt. Right, uh, right. And what so, are you paying for? You're paying for 12 games, basically. Right. And so I, I suppose I, I would understand a little bit of that because you want to still respect the guy and give him what he's owed based on the market. But for the Vikings long term, uh, you have to keep his this any running back at all. It could be. McCaffrey, it could be Saquon Barkley, it could be any running back. You got to keep that money down. The risk is just too much. Because here's the other thing: like, you could rupture a knee, a la Teddy Bridgewater, a la, you know, was it that tight end Zach Miller or something? His career ended. Alex Smith. Like these injuries can happen, and they're much more likely to happen to somebody that's banging into big linemen every play, and that could totally wipe out your career and be done. You know, and so that could happen to Dalvin Week Three this season. And the entire contract, he's still going to get that money, right? Or the majority of it. And that's going to kill your cap. And it's going to be a bunch of wasted money um, uh, on a guy like, you know, a running back where that could be avoided. You just straight up, I don't want to be the team. This is my personal perception. We've now shifted into that kind of part of the argument here. I don't want to be a fan of the team that pays a running back too much money. Because it's we'll get just, ready for it. I mean, we I think we've both accepted that it's going to happen, and we're not gonna love it. Because right. like we love watching Dalvin Cook; he's really fun to watch. But it's just it's awesome. Financially speaking, what's best for the team to win, where the al- money should be allocated, it's just not at running back. It's let me not- ask you. Let me ask you this question about Dalvin Cook, and this will be the last couple things here before we move into Jeff Gladney. But if Dalvin Cook wasn't a record-breaking running back at Florida State. Would we even be having this t- conversation about paying him this much money? Because he has basically one good season. The rest is injuries. So if he is just a very – if his talent, you take his talent and you put that into the body of you know, a fourth-round running back from Arkansas and well, with, the, with the production that he's had at this level. Well, of course, a lot really, of it is name power, right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm saying that his new contract will be as much name recognition and power as what he's actually proven on the yeah, field. Well, even okay, so let's even you know 2017, the first three and a half, four games when he was healthy, he was a stud, right? So he, I think he's been a stud all the time. But has, has he been it long Florida enough? State, probably not. I mean. That's we both kind of know. The we both have the same idea of what we think the contract should be. You know. So what's the, let's just finish up with that question then, straight straight up. What should the contract look like, and what will the contract look like now that we know what we do? So, <clears throat> I would give him like fifteen to twenty mil guaranteed. Um, that's a lot of guaranteed money for a running back, but I think that's it's going to lower your total hit quite a bit. So I'd say something like three. For 24, give him 20 mil guarantee the first two years, 
third year you can get out of it. That way the Vikings have basically two years where they are paying Dalvin kind of more than they should probably, but then third year you can get out of it. Worst case scenario, you have two seasons where you're really paying this guy um, kind of more than more than you should, and then you can get out of it third year, kind of restart. And at that point, too, Kirk, you might be restarting at quarterback as well. So, okay, so, so to go off of that, Dalvin Cook turns 25 years old on August 10th, okay? So if I'm Dalvin Cook... I don't want anything more than four years for sure. And I'm probably trying to keep this at three years. Just looking at kind of his career trajectory. If he can give three more great years of 1200 yard plus production in Minnesota, he will earn another three or four year contract that will carry him probably beyond his prime and pay him more money. The Revis deal, basically you're paid a lot of more, a lot more money than you're actually worth later on in your career. Right. So if I'm Dalvin Cook, I'm trying to get three years here because I believe in myself and my ability to produce at the NFL level because that's what I, that's all but we've seen. Even, right? But on the other side, do you look at your injury history and be like, all right, I want to get the bag now, something right. long-term? There is that. But now the way to, quote, get the bag now, as you were, is to get it in guaranteed money. So I want three years here, and the deal itself – doesn't need to average more than ten million dollars per year. It can, we could be talking like a a twenty four million dollar deal, but the, we're talking eighteen, nineteen, twenty million dollars in guaranteed money. Yeah. If I'm Dalvin Cook, I'm saying your biggest concern is the future, right? Okay, your biggest concern is me getting hurt and killing your cap in the future, right? Okay. I'm going to alleviate that concern, but by doing that, I want you to give me more money for what I'm worth in this moment. That's what I'm saying if I'm Dalvin Cook. I'm asking for basically 11, 10 or $11 million per year over the next probably two or three years, and then I'm going to see how much of that I can make yeah. guaranteed. Large if portion I'm of the guarantee right away. Yeah. If I'm the Vikings, I want to keep it at $8 million per year. So if I'm the Vikings, I want it to be – Three years, twenty-four million, twelve million guaranteed. I think that's team friendly. It pays you about, you know, it's 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 kind of lowballing them a little bit, but that's about where if you're the team, that's your best possible scenario. Three for twenty-eight for three for twenty-four for about twelve. Yeah. I think you meet in the middle and you go like three for twenty-seven, twenty-eight, which kicks you around that nine to ten million mark, and then you give him somewhere between twenty and twenty-four guaranteed which is unheard of that would be well, ridiculous. in that in that the structure of that deal would allow the vikings to get out of that before the third year i would assume because you know that's All like you said it's, it's, it's alleviating the the strain on the vikings cap situation after you know two years into the future so in 2022 when they have to deal with like kirk's 45 million dollar cap hit you know right you're giving the vikings the out there and then i think kirk's got something similar where like it's like a they save 35 mil on that. Like it's a $10 million cap hit if they cut them before 2022. So it sort of gives the Vikings, okay, two years here. You have Dalvin, you got Kirk, you got, this is your offense for the next two seasons. Like those are your focal points. And if you, if Dalvin get his guaranteed money there, that can be the case. Doesn't work. Injuries happen, whatever. You kind of suffer through 2021, 2022 start over. And at least that seems to make the most sense for both sides, trying to balance it out here, right? Get Dalvin what he should get based on the market. 
uh, keep him around and let, you know, the, the fandom, so to speak, right. The Vikings fans that love cook, like please them as well. Um, and you know, for the Vikings, they could preserve the future while still keeping a guy who was effective in the offense in the short term. That seems to be the best. Now it depends what, which perspective cook is on. If he wants, okay, guaranteed money. Now that's all I want. So I can get another deal. Or if he is, give me something for five years so that I can, you know, be secure based on my injury history. I think it's going to be more, I think it's going to be closer to that. I think three years makes the most sense for both sides. I think it's going to end up being four or five and I think it's going to average 11 million per yeah. year. That's my guess. So I'm going to You're thinking like four for 45, or like okay. yeah. something like that. I, 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 that's what I think it will ultimately be because you know, what were the two averages? 16, like 16 and eight. So about, 12 is that I mean here's the deal I'm okay with giving Dalvin 10 to 12 in the first couple of seasons you know if it's a big number in the first couple of seasons I'm okay with that just give the Vikings an easy out for 2022 and 2023 like I as long as they can get out of a deal if they need to from injuries or from the fact that it just doesn't work out like if they win six games this season and seven the next season like I I don't want any part of his deal anymore why we got to change something up you know, so I, I as long as the Vikings can get out easily before 2022 with very little penalty, I am OK with basically any deal that works out. Um, that's kind of the big thing for me. And so that mean that would mean the overall average value might be high um, or like there might be some high guaranteed money. That'll be scary right away to look at. But the structure of the deal is important, like I said, and that's that's what I'm looking for is 2022 easy way out of the deal. Absolutely. All right. So our discussions with Dal- about Dalvin Cook, I imagine, will probably still continue here um, as we see how this uh, negotiation yeah. progress, or uh, excuse me, negotiation process progresses. Uh, we'll go deeper into this as we know more. But for now, that's where we stand. So let's move on to Jeff Gladney here, who is the second first-round pick for the Vikings this season. He is the one that the Vikings traded back. In, back deeper into the first round in order to acquire from TCU your new cornerback and potentially a starting cornerback right away. Plenty of talent with this prospect. Plenty of very good things about him. And all of these things will, you know, we'll go over over all kind of, as we have, we'll go over the positives, of course. But I'm, again, our, our focus here is to try to find areas of flaws, areas that might be a concern playing at the professional level, whereas, you know, maybe he had more success or got away with things at the collegiate level because of, you know, some sort of some factor. Okay. So I think the first thing that we want to start with here is just right off the bio. The fact that he's 24 years old. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that either. Okay. So that's a, that's in, that's something that we've discussed previously. Okay. So when you look at Jeff Gladney and you look at kind of his progression as an athlete how he has improved from season to season he has gotten better every single year right so there is that good to it you've seen you've seen it on film that this player has shown an ability to get better every year now he takes the big leap to the nfl level it's a whole different game at his position especially because he's somewhat undersized as well there's gonna be a lot of things that he's going to run into right off of the bat and the problem with all of this is, is that he's already 24, and by the time he's 26 or 27, when he's really kind of, you know, theoretically peaking, he's already kind of getting closer to over the hill with his age. So right. 
that's not necessarily something that's going to affect you in 2020, but that's a problem just initially off the bat, something to keep an eye on as he, you know, gets old. The second thing here is that is like I just said, his size. So we're not even evaluating on-field performance with these two factors yet. We're just looking at things that might influence his career. The fact that he's under six feet tall, the fact that he is, quote, a little bit smaller than, you know, you would like, about 191 pounds. He needs to add a little bit of weight. That, to me, is a 2020 concern because immediately you have to worry about, well, can his body adapt to the NFL? Will he be playing a position, you know, within the cornerback position? You know, there's both outside and slot, and there's different coverages and different styles that you have to play. Will he be able to adapt given his frame? His physical frame, will that be enough to get him through a rookie year? Keeping in mind, of course, he's going to take more punishment, too. 16 games is different than playing, what, probably 10 or 11 games at TCU. So those are just off-the-notepad issues with Jeff Gladney. Is, does any of that kind of hit with you at all? Do you have a problem? Do you see any issues with this kind of the things that we can't even evaluate on tape? Well, yeah, I think I don't like the age now. I think it's important. So he's 23 now, will turn 24 this season. So this is this rookie season will be his age 24 season. Right. Um, and, you know, that kind of you almost need. OK, he's got to get off to a good start and got to do it quickly because, um, you know, if and his rookie deal, if it's if he's 26 at the end of, you know, in two years from now, uh, his second season, he's done. and He's 26. Things aren't uh, he's not turning out to be a, a, a reliable starter. You're already kind of done with him. Like you're already done. He's going to, he's off the team after his rookie deal. He's got a lot to prove right away. Uh, number one there. And then what you, I think number two, he is clearly a niche press man to man guy, which is good and bad. I think Zimmer loves those guys. And we, we're going to talk about his attitude too, and the feistiness and the aggressiveness, which is clearly a Mike Zimmer uh, trait that he likes to have in his corners. But, you know, when it's off coverage, I think is where Gladney could be better. I think bigger receivers also kind of will, uh, I guess, dominate him maybe uh, at the top of the route when they kind of do make that contact initially. I think the bigger guys can easily uh, get, you know, create that separation from him. So that is a weakness. Now, again, the Vikings aren't going to run press man all the time, but I think they do it more frequently than a lot of other teams. So in that, in that instance, that uh, because of that, I think that, you know, Gladney could be a good fit with the Vikings and what Mike Zimmer likes to do. So um, overall, again, you know, we'll talk more about the attitude and stuff, but I think the press man skills um, and his ability to follow receivers from the line of scrimmage and, you know, keep them at the hip, I think is very good and will be very useful for the Vikings. All right, so we've covered the the bio, right? The what's on paper, what he fills out the forms that he fills out at the combine. We've covered that issue, okay? The next part is kind of what you're talking about. Let's talk about his attitude, and let's talk about the cerebral element of the game. That's, in my opinion, one of the most important things about playing cornerback in the NFL. I've been arguing this for what going on six Long years time. now, six years that you need to have a feisty personality. You need to have, uh, you need to have some temperament basically as a cornerback there are examples i know of players who were quiet at the cornerback position and still played really well like champ bailey but even all even some of those guys the quieter guys had those short art like those outbursts at one point or another in their career it's just something that i always see 
when you think of a great cornerback, you tend to think of a guy who talks trash or is a loud mouth or is just straight up. He's disruptive, not just on the field, but just socially. He's a disruptive human being when he talks. So this is a trait that I think Jeff Gladney definitely has based off of what I've seen and the, the interviews, I suppose, that I've you know caught glimpses of or transcriptions, I should say. I haven't actually heard the guy talk, ironically enough. But he has a feisty personality, right? And he's got that that want to, that effort. Um, we've seen these kind of uh, elements show gritty. up in a lot of. He's gritty too. Grit. He is gritty, yeah. These these you know verbs or adjectives, I should say, um, have shown up quite a bit in his scouting reports. So we feel very comfortable with that. You know that kind of physical. Cra- Honestly, he's just a crazy football player guy. That's just he has that he has that mentality, right? He's also cerebral though too, which I think is. You know, these these pieces of being a football player that don't show up on the combine, they're so hard to evaluate because, like, the Wonderlick doesn't tell you enough, right? Or, you know, you can't see enough from a player in a couple of interviews to really get who they are as a human being. It's just a flawed evaluation process. But this guy has shown up on film, showing up always in the right spots, great ball skills. So he seems to have a good idea of how coverages work, where his leverage is, where he needs to be, and how to help out in a situation where he has maybe a weakness over the top. He seems to understand these things, and these are very, very important when you're making that transition to the NFL level because, as you just stated, he's 24. He's got to he's got to get off to a hot start. He's got to know the playbook. He's got to know what's going on. And you know, at least from my vantage point, it seems like Jeff Gladney is a guy you can count on to know what's going on at all times, which really in the NFL is probably about half the battle, if not more. At defensive back, yeah. I mean, it's it's how many times do you see a coverage breakdown because somebody just completely forgot the assignment or there was a miscommunication or whatever the case is. And how often do those moments define games? Quite a bit. It's quite often. Uh, now, this isn't to say he'll never be at fault for something like that or uh, as a rookie, it just, it's natural for mistakes like that to happen. But right. uh, I think it's going to be, I, I think, so I, in comparing him to like Mike Hughes, for example, um, I think, I think Gladney's going to be better out of the gate in that press man situation. I think he has a better skill set, better attitude, uh, better track record in that situation. Now, on the flip side, if we're talking about, Zone. If we're talking about off-man coverage, which the Vikings uh, have been playing more of, by the which way. Which I don't. So the one, uh, the the pet peeve I have I had from this defense in 2019 was third down and medium, third down and five, playing six, eight four, playing eight yards deep. Yeah. Little hitch route, little slant route, whatever it is for the first down. Oh, that bothered me. Doesn't even touch the cornerback. Yeah. Right. That's a that's it, that's a play caller issue, but right. Yeah, which so. and I don't know. I, I'm not a smart play. I'm I'm just a dude. Like I'm just a fan <laughs> of of the of the football sport. But like, I don't know that that's more of a that's a play caller thing, scheme thing. But when you have a guy like Jeff Gladney who projects to be a reliable press man corner, those are the scenarios where I want him to be out there up in somebody's grill at the line of scrimmage, and. uh that, that that seems like you know if you draft a guy like that, that's what you want your third down defense to be, and that's why I liked that's why the Vikings are so effective in 2017 on third down, best third down defense of all time. They got up in in the other uh, you know the opponent's grill, the receiver's grill. Xavier Rhodes was so great at it. Trey Waynes was solid at it for a guy who wasn't supposed to be good at that in the NFL, and the Vikings defense thrived off of that. 
so I'm hoping that's what they're doing here with Gladney is to get back into that sort of, uh, you know, that kind of game plan, get up in somebody's face and throw them off the route a little bit, let the pass rushers get after them. So let's go off of that then and actually talk about what he does on the field. So now that we've covered, you know, his transcript and what's going on upstairs, the physical elements for the most part are very good with the exception of the fact that you know, he's a little bit undersized, but in terms of athleticism and his ability to cover his technique, uh, his, you know, his hand placement, these things that he can literally control, right? These are things that he's very, very good at. Fundamentally sound, especially in press coverage. The zone coverage thing, yeah, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a negative light plenty of times this upcoming season. But in terms of press coverage, it's a guy you can trust and a guy who knows how to do it. And on top of it, he likes it too, which is very, very important, I think, as, you know, for how this position should function. You should enjoy your craft, and this guy certainly seems to. He will fight you to the very last step of your route. That's just the player that he is. So that suggests that, you know, he could be a very good player immediately just because when you're passionate about something and you're passionate about your craft, I mean, there's no proven science to this, but generally speaking, people who are passionate about what they do they tend to be a little bit more successful than people who don't seem to care about it as much. That's just kind of how the trends have worked in human life going back to God yeah. knows what. So he's got all of these things going on and he does them very – his, phys, his physical ability translates very well to the NFL because he is above the standard for size, I suppose. And he is you know, as good as anyone basically in terms of athleticism and his ability to cover players, especially in press coverage. Now, I think he's going to – these are a couple problems that I think he's going to run into despite the fact that he is you know, very savvy in his craft and his ability and how well that could potentially translate. There is the issue of grabbiness, which we seem to see from every single cornerback that Mike Zimmer drafts. I think it's because he drafts players of this nature who yeah. love to be physical at the line of scrimmage, and then all of a sudden the rules are a little bit different at the NFL level or maybe how did too much or something is different, and all of a sudden you grab a jersey and you've got 15 yards or 50 yards when it's Trey Wayne sometimes. This is a problem that I think Jeff Gladney's going to experience, especially if he plays in the slot and he doesn't have leverage to work off of on the outside. And he has to try to guess. I, I see a guy like, you know, even like a John Brown playing out of the slot. I see that being a problem just because you're trying to guess direction because you don't have the experience. You grab because you're a physical corner and that's been your forte for, you know, your entire career. I see a lot of 15-yard penalties in his future. Now, have we seen both Rhodes and Waynes grow out of this? Yeah, we have. So that's not like a future long-term issue, but it is something that I think that he'll face immediately. That, in addition to tackling and zone coverage, I think could be a problem with his size in the NFL. Granted, Antoine Winfield may be the best tackling cornerback of all time, also undersized. Well, and yeah, the, the tape showed the tackling wasn't great. Um, it it kind of not shies away from the contact. I don't think that's him, but it just seems like he doesn't use all 5'11", you know, 190 of his frame to the extent that he could maybe when – you know, when tackling, when needing to show that physicality. A little and like reckless, said, too. Sure. Um, you know, but I think the big problem for me is just, like, when he is eight yards off, I think he's pretty beatable, or, or at least a little – kind of was against better receivers in college. So that is the issue that I see. Uh, and, again, if the Vikings are going to shy away from that type of thing where they 
go back to uh, a lot of man press schemes and fine by me, you know, get him on the field all the time to let him be play a starter snaps. Um, you know, but if it's off, off coverage stuff, we're going to need to see, I think we're going to need to see some, uh, you know, improvement quite a bit leading up to, you know, training camp and into the, the season, uh, if he's going to play a big role. And I think he's going to have to, and that's because right, there's no, I mean, there's Mike Hughes, there's Holton, Holton Hill, Hill who may or may not be allowed suspended by that point. Yeah. Up. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and then you have Cameron Dantzler, who we'll talk about in a show coming up here. Uh, but who, I mean, he weighs more than, maybe more than toothpick. I don't know. So right. there's, there's growing concerns here. He's there going are, to play. He's going to play a lot. He's going to play. I'm sure he's going to have shining moments. But there are also going to be growing pains with this player. I fully expect them to come. Hey, do I want him to shut everyone down for 16 games? Yes, that would be amazing. But I totally see this rookie having a lot of rookie cornerbacks don't do well. That's they just, don't. That's just that's just how it is. And he also and has gambling like issues. The fact that this player has gambling issues too is a problem for cornerbacks at the NFL level. Trying to make a name for yourself. I don't blame you. That's eight. Hey, like interceptions lead to big Mark, paychecks. Marcus Peters first couple of seasons that's all he, he had big 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 plays high interception numbers actually got beat quite a bit uh right. has turned that around a little bit obviously now he's like an all pro but um that's how he that's how he played coming out and it, it can work you know you can turn that into something great like he has but he was toasted quite a bit early on in his career and, and to the point where that wayne's peters debate you know lasted longer than maybe it we would have expected yeah, yeah. All right, folks. So that is our discussion on Jeff Gladney. I'm sure, as always, that we will have more to say about him as we learn more information. But for the time being, you know, I I feel like both of us are fairly comfortable, not just with the pick, but with his presence in 2020. You know, there are going to be downsides with every NFL player, but this is one that I think we'll see more good things than bad, especially, um, you know, at a position where most, you know, most things are bad for the cornerback position if you hear their name called. So, um, I expect good things from Jeff Gladney. We'll talk more about him as you know we see his career develop. Uh, but for the time being, uh, that's all we got for today. So next week, uh, we will follow up with what's ever going on in Vikings territory. I'm sure we will get some Dalvin Cook announcement or some other issue or something will happen between now and then. Uh, and then we will continue uh, moving forward with Ezra Cleveland will be the next prospect that we'll be talking about, the Vikings' second-round offensive lineman. So, um Thanks for listening to the show. You can find us, as always, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Daily Norseman, and then check out the rest of the Climb in the Pocket Network as well. Uh, The guys have been doing a phenomenal job there, and I expect uh, more great content to come. So thanks for listening, folks, and we will catch you guys next week.